turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 2 through 9 in this chapter today. I'm just warning you, we're not going to get to all nine verses. Um, but what we don't get to today, we would love for you just to, just to meditate on on your own with your small group this week. Think about that. Um, there is so much packed into this small section of eight verses. Paul turns and he starts concluding his letter to the church at Philippi. And he's got these final exhortations. It's like he's got some things that he wants to say one last time before he stops with this letter. And it is so rich biblically. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Philippians chapter four, let's actually start reading in in verse one this morning. Go back a little bit here. It says this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Verse two, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche. Took me all week to get those names. I entreat Euodia, I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. The first word uh, this morning that's gonna help us guide, guide us through this passage is this, agree, agree. Paul directly here addresses two women in the church who are disagreeing about something. What is that disagreement? Well, we don't know. I don't believe it's some major sin issue or major doctrinal or theological false teaching. Why? Well, back in chapter three, if you remember, there were some of those people and Paul called them dogs and evildoers. So he, he's not shy about calling that out and he doesn't do that here. But it's some disagreement that the, the church is probably aware of and probably threatens the unity of this faith family. Therefore, it's, an, it's important enough to address here in his letter. Just take a second and imagine what that was like. Imagine being called out by the apostle who, who planted your church in front of the whole church on a Sunday morning. It's read out loud and it's preserved forever in scripture. Like that's, that's intense, all right? But as we come to this, I think it's important that we see this isn't some type of public shaming of some troublemaking women in the church. I've heard this passage taught in some unhelpful and frankly, downright wrong ways. Look at, look at first how Paul talks to these two women. He says, I entreat Euodia and Syntyche. He doesn't scold them. He doesn't talk down to them. The word entreat means to appeal to or to plead with. And then look, look how he talks about them. He says they've labored. That word labored has the idea of they've fought, they've struggled, they've strived 
side by side with me in the gospel together with the rest of the the fellow workers. Paul's like, these sisters in Christ have engaged in spiritual warfare alongside of Paul and for the sake of this church. Uh, The language that's used here by Paul shows us that like these women are special to him. They've served the Lord, they've served him, and they've served this church. And he's saying, I need you to agree, Yodia and Syntyche. Why? Because there is work to be done for the sake of the gospel. And you are essential to this mission and to this church. Uh, The word agree, it's the same word from chapter two, verse two, that, that was translated to be of the same mind. Paul's calling these women to humility and to have the mind of Christ. And then he has this, whoever this true companion is, this brother or sister in Christ, come alongside of them to help them. Agree, church. Agree in the Lord. Uh, Side note here. Women played an essential and a prominent role in the church at Philippi. We see this here. We see it in Acts chapter 16. And that would have stood out in contrast to the rest of the culture at that time. And this, this recognition of their partnership in the gospel, it emphasizes the worth and the necessity, not only of of these two women, but I believe women in general within the local church. Hear me this morning, women at Radiant, sisters in Christ, we need you. You are an essential part of this local body of Christ. We need your God-given gifts, your love, your perspectives, your abilities, and your faith. We are co-laborers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know from me that you are valued and you are necessary here. Okay, and we love you. Paul's like, I need you, Euodia and Syntyche. You've labored beside me for the sake of the gospel. Agree in the Lord. So he, he zooms in here for a minute on these few people and then now he steps back out and he goes a little bit more broad lens again in verse four. The next word that we're gonna see is rejoice, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'm gonna say it, rejoice. Rejoice here, it means to be, be full of joy. Right? Imagine like a, a glass that you're pouring water into and you don't just stop when it's full, you just keep pouring and it just keeps overflowing. That's the idea of this word, be full of joy. Now, this isn't, this isn't a, 
a superficial, uh, just turn your frown upside down, fake it till you make it, happy face emoji, cheerful all the time reality. That's not what's happening here. This is something much deeper than that. Something much deeper than what our world passes off as happiness. How do we know that? Because it says rejoice in something specifically. It says rejoice in the Lord, in the Lord. We've been talking about rejoicing through Philippians, but this is kind of this climax point of this. Rejoice in the Lord. Joy in Philippians is this, uh, it's, this it's a settled contentment. It's a settled satisfaction rooted in all that God is for us in Jesus Christ. And what is God for us in Jesus Christ? He is savior, he is king, he's our friend, he is infinitely valuable and of surpassing worth. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always, always, at all times, through all circumstances, this joy it doesn't diminish the difficulties of life. Remember where Paul's writing this from? Prison, where he's possibly even facing death soon. And who's he writing it to? He's writing it to the, the church at Philippi that we know is facing itself persecution, suffering, attacks from false teaching, internal strife. And along with that, the apostle that has brought them hope, is in prison himself and facing death. This church and this man knew difficult. And this joy doesn't dismiss those hard things, but rather in the midst of them, it's a choice. It's a choice to rejoice in spite of those circumstances. Hear me here. If Jesus is the basis of our joy, if he is the reason for our joy, then there is always cause for rejoicing. What are you clinging to for your happiness? Who or what are you, are you trying to find your, your joy in right now, your satisfaction in? The Lord tells us here through Paul in Philippians, he's like, there is one thing, one thing that will sustain you through the difficulties of this life. There is one joy that surpasses all of it. And that joy is found in the Lord. Amen. But how? How? How do I cultivate a fullness of joy in the Lord in my life? That leads us to the next to the next word, and it's this, it's pray, it's pray. Look at verse four through six here. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your, your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. All right, all right. Here's what you're not gonna hear me say right now. 
Just pray and it'll all be better. Just have more faith and it'll all be better. Just rejoice and you'll be good. No, that's not what this is saying, okay? So a little, a little groundwork here to help us get into this section where Paul says, don't be anxious, pray. Anxiety is something that affects every believer at various times, but to varying degrees. Okay, we don't, we don't want to approach texts like this with quick, trite, flippant answers to what are very difficult struggles. All right, here's, here's how we want to approach texts like this. What is God teaching us here? What is he saying here? So to do that, we need to realize there's actually different types of anxiety. And we need to see what this passage is, is talking about, okay? So we see in Philippians different categories for anxiousness. It's incredible. There's actually a, a positive anxiousness that's commended to us in Philippians. It will be next week, but it already has been. Back in chapter two, if you remember, we were talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus, and they were being held out as examples to the church of what it looks like to consider others more significant than yourself. And in chapter two, verse 20, it says, for I have no one like him, like Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That word there, concerned, it's actually the same word in the original language that's translated anxious here in chapter four, verse six. We're actually encouraged to be anxious, <laughs> to be concerned from a place of love and care for someone else. Okay, so that's, that's one type of anxiousness. There's another type of anxiety. It's not sinful, but it, but it is difficult. And it's sometimes even for some of us, a debilitating result of living in a fallen world where sin has affected not only the spiritual, but also the physical. And I just wanna stop for a second and say, if you find yourself in this hard struggle, in a, a pit of despair of sorts where you can't seem to get out of it, would you reach out for help? Like, there isn't shame in getting help. We have people who are gifted and trained and able and ready to help you. Like they love helping. In fact, I'm just gonna take a second and shout out to, we're so grateful for our medical professionals that we have here in our midst. We're so thankful that you know Jesus and you know medicine and that you spend your life helping others. We need you, thank you. But if you're here, if you're here and you find yourself in that place, listen, you're not alone. I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands but I even know personally that many of us have had to reach out for help at different points in our life. 
do not do it alone. Allow others to come alongside of you. So what is, what is this anxiousness right here in this? When Paul says, don't be anxious, what is this? It's this. This is to be unduly worried, concerned, or fearful about something. In fact, this passage says anything because I'm not trusting God. I'm not trusting his, his wisdom, his sovereign control, his goodness, his faithfulness, and so I'm, I'm worrying. The number one command that we see throughout scripture is don't be afraid. Don't fear, fear, fear not. And this is Paul's fear not. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but what? But in everything by, by prayer, and with supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I love the way the New Living Translation renders this. It says this, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. So clear. Cry out to God with your needs, your fears, your questions, always in this, in this humble posture of gratitude. So how does this look really practically? So this week, this week for me, I was anxious this week about preaching on being anxious. Imagine that. And as I thought about it, I realized that there was, a, there was this category of good anxiousness that was here. Uh, I, I love you. I love, the, I love the Lord, I love his word, and I wanna be faithful and clear and winsome in the way that I preach his word to you so that we would know Christ and be changed by him. As I thought about this, I'm like, that's a good anxiousness. That should feel properly weighty. It's a, it's a big calling. And I, I should have that little knot in my gut to remind me of my dependence upon the Lord in this. But then as I was thinking about it, looking in God's word, talking with him, I realized that there was this unhelpful, wrong direction that it was starting to go. Where I was fearing man more than God. I wasn't trusting his spirit to work through his word. I was trying to control things I had no business of trying to control that were his. I had forgotten that he is with me and he promises that his word will not return void. And I had to take a minute and I had to repent of that and ask the Lord for his help. In. See, prayer here is not this um, magic, one-time, silver bullet remedy for all of my anxiousness. It's just, it's not that. It's choosing. Sometimes moment by moment to trust God rather than fear. 
taking things to the Lord in prayer, it's a, it's a step or better, it's steps of faith that demonstrate our dependence on him. So in this passage, he's like, rejoice in the Lord always, church. How? Cast your anxieties on him. Cast your, your worries on him. You might be like, I did that, Nate. He didn't fix my problem. I gave it to him. I took it to him in prayer and it didn't change. Look down at this passage. Look down at verse seven. He, he doesn't promise, and this is hard. He doesn't promise that in this life, he's going to change all of our circumstances. He doesn't promise that he's gonna take away all of our struggles. What does he promise? He promises his peace in the midst of them. Look at verse seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds, your, your, your feelings and your thoughts and your whole being, the peace of God. This is the only time this phrase is used like this in all of the New Testament. What is it? It's a, it's a supernaturally wrought. I love that word, wrought. Supernaturally produced. That's why it says it surpasses all understanding. A supernaturally wrought calm. In this passage, joy that transcends even the most difficult of circumstances. Don't be anxious, church. Pray, and God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds. You might be like, well, Nate, then what's, what's the point of praying? I don't understand. Like, is it, like he's God. He knows me in and out, through and through. He knows all of my, my worries and my anxiousness. Why do I need to pray about it? Just give me the peace. Guess what? He has. He has. Like what? Ultimately, the peace from God that we receive is God. We have it in Jesus Christ. Look down at verse seven. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds, the three best words in all of the New Testament. 